I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig. I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello there. And Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. Cruella DeVille. Cruella DeVille. <laughs> I can't <laughs> sing any more of this or we'd have to pay royalties. So uh, today... We are talking all things Cruella. This is a full disclosure, which means this is going to go on the main Front Row Network feed. So welcome to those of you listening to us on the main feed. Please know that we have lots of Disney hijinks going on every Friday on the Beyond the Mouse feed. And we welcome you to come over to there. And we are also interacting in our with our listeners in all sorts of ways. And I'll get into that in a little bit here. But before I do... We want to provide you with sort of our non-spoiler reviews of Cruella, the new Disney film that was released same day in theaters and also on Disney+. And then we will let you all know, in case you haven't seen it yet, we will let you all know that we're going to go into spoilers and then we'll talk all about the film proper. I'm really excited about this one. I'll tell you, it made about $30 million over the weekend at the box office, which to me means that theater is coming back The movie theaters are starting to slowly but surely bring in that money. And I think that that's just a great thing for the entertainment industry and just for how we, who we are as kind of a society and a culture. Going to the movies is such a release for so many people. And I'm so excited that we are back at that point. Um, But I want to start with Brett. Can you give me some of your insights, non-spoiler, about your uh, opportunities to view Cruella? I do want to talk about the the first time I I watched it um, was I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. I didn't I didn't catch it at two in the morning, so I watched it at three in the morning. And I'm like going, well, you know, if I get kind of tired, I will I'll just put it off. Well, I didn't. I'm like going. I watched pretty much the whole thing. I mean, I watched the whole thing unless I dozed. You know, I maybe I maybe I took a a, a nine minute power nap in the middle of it, but I don't know. Oops, that was a spoiler. Sorry, but then I watched it again and. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in love with this movie and it's good. I can't wait to watch it even more times. But yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the look, the everything. I don't know how, we'll get into it a little bit more, but my, yeah, because we're not quite to first impressions. That was kind of my first impression. Sorry. Okay. Well, no, I would say I loved that it. this is your it. non-spoiler first impression. That's oh totally fine, gosh. especially that your your first impression happened before all of ours did because, <laughs> holy moly, uh, you and your sleep schedule, I still need to, I still don't know how all that works, but... I don't know um, either. I just like, I just kind of started it with, you know, anytime Disney Plus has a premiere at two o'clock in the morning central time, I try to watch it, you know, whether it be Marvel or if it be the Mandalorian and now with movies too. I'm like going and and that we have so many more to watch this summer. I will be going to bed early so I can wake up and watch it at two. Because I love it. I love it. I I've just set that bar for myself and it's very hard not to do that that I must be first. Anyway. So <laughs> You're always the first person uh, when I wake up in the morning, it's like, I see that it was posted two hours ago and that you finished the film or the finished the episode and that Mm -hmm. you're excited about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I should mention that I did talk about the take that it made from the theaters this weekend. We do not at time of recording have numbers from Disney about how much they did in terms of the premiere access on Disney plus, but I have to say it must be high because I know that a lot of my friends are either Disney fans or in the theater community. 
but it does seem like this movie is being talked about so much more than say Mulan was uh, or Raya and the Last Dragon. It seems like it's really everywhere. And I don't know if some more people are venturing out to the movies or if they're just ready to watch this film. They love Emma Stone. They love Emma Thompson, whatever the case may be. But I will say that I was the last of the three of us to be able to watch this. I had the pleasure of having some friends in town this weekend, which was just wonderful. Uh, But that meant that I didn't watch it until actually last night uh, at time of the recording. And so it's just a great film. Honestly, if you are thinking about, should I pay the $30 in premiere access? Because it always comes back to that question. I would say that this movie deserves your $30, especially if you have more than one person in the house and you're able to kind of watch it as a family, you start factoring in those movie theater prices. You know, I'm a kind of person, I love film, but I rarely go back to film. So I usually just watch it one time, I kind of absorb it that way. And then I probably won't go back and revisit it. However, this one, I think that I will. And I think that I will often because it's just a a fun and kind of diabolical, slightly darker film for Disney. I really uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. I will say that I know that these two don't like to do rankings and that I do. So uh, instead of putting them on the spot for that, when I'm thinking in terms of the live action prequel sequels that have been coming out, uh, I still love, I have a deep place in my heart for Mary Poppins Returns, but in my mind, this is right there next to it as far as that's concerned. And then overall in the live action uh, kind of ethos of Disney, I've always said that Cinderella is my favorite live action. And this is just under that for me. I really enjoy the uh, way that they develop the character. They There were some predictable plot points here and there that you can kind of go to, but we'll get into that on the spoiler side of things. But honestly, it was just a fun movie. It was a fun backstory to a villain that we all like to hate. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed the movie and couldn't recommend that you go out to Premier Access more or go visit your theater if you are comfortable doing that and support those businesses as well. Vanessa, what's your non-spoiler review for Cruella? I've written down several words that I think would describe this and they're words beyond the phrase, I liked it. So we oh. are... Oh, we are no. elevating oh, wow. our reviews here at Beyond golf, the Mouse. Golf clap for you. Thank <laughs> you. So my review is that it is a musically woven fashion extravaganza creatively filmed for outsiders with top-notch quality. In short, it takes a children's story and ups the ante. Oh. How about that? Oh, that is, got, that is so good. It's okay, like you've inspired you a journalist me. in a past inspired life. me. I I literally just wrote this down while you were talking because I was going to go to my usual phrase of, I liked it. (laughs) But truly this, this film, what's interesting about this film is that there's a lot of different perspectives coming at it. And I'm having more of a hard time in telling you what I liked about it, more of a hard time trying to filter out what is a genuine critique and what is people just wanting to be negative or critique for the sake of critique. So this has been a real challenge to prep for this particular episode. I've watched a few reviews. I've read a few reviews. Our friends on Facebook have a lot to share, which I know we'll share later in the episode. It's been a very interesting response to this film, but in Truthfully, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can always tell by if I want to watch it again, and I've watched it a few times since I since that first viewing. 
Now, it's always um, interesting to ask you about Premier Access because you bring up the point, like, you know, I have um, myself, Anna, and maybe our son, probably not this, I, I will say that in the non-spoiler section, this is a uh, rated PG-13, I believe, and I would not uh, have my five-year-old watch this, um, and I know that different parents will make different decisions based on where they feel their child is, but there are parts of this film where, one, I think because of the way that the character is developed, I think from a five-year-old's perspective, it might not be as attention-grabbing or uh, attention-keeping as some other films, but then Maybe also... a blueprint, uh, and, and, and you wouldn't want that. Right, and <laughs> that's, not, that's not a critique of the film. That's just saying that it's just not made for a five-year-old, I don't believe. The second part of it, it, it is darker than uh, our traditional Disney fare, and um, it does, it might be a bit scary for a child. So uh, that's my, as just a parent, but Vanessa, I want to come back to Premiere Access with you because you always uh, make the point, would I buy this if it was just me in the house watching it? And so what's your thought on that? Well, I, I, Brett, I know you're looking around, but Vanessa is always particular to bring up this point when we talk Premiere Access. So I wanted to I'm, make sure. I'm the budget savvy. So... For myself, because I'm a Disney fan, I think it is one to go ahead and get the premiere access. I still think it's a better value to go to the movie theater. A, because you're going to pay a cheaper ticket. But B, because this soundtrack is so good that it feels like you're in a... It's not grunge because it's in the 70s, but it's feel it feels like you're caught up in a musical movement. And the music is such a key part of what makes this movie exciting that it, very much like Guardians of the Galaxy, it makes a huge difference if you see it on your TV or if you see it in the theater and then the bass kicks in or the guitar line kicks in. It's so much better when you have that amplified. So I would highly recommend if anyone hasn't seen it yet, Try to see it in a theater if you can. Excellent. Brett, did you have any other comments before? What I want to do is go into the comments that our non-spoiler friends in the Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals Facebook group have given. Um, But did you have any final comments? And then we'll go right into spoilers after that. Well, you know, pretty much. If it's, if it's available, I'm getting it. I know, I know. But with this film, if I had to wait... I am going to go see it in the theater because it'll be my return (laughs) to the theater. And I can't wait to, I really cannot wait to do that. But this is so rewatchable that to have a whole summer of watching this, I am thrilled because to have to wait until later. No, no, no. I will watch it again and again. That's true. I think that is true. They're they're rewatching. I didn't think about that. Because if you do go to a movie theater, you're not going to be able to rewatch it over and over and over again. So I still stand by my comment about the theater, but there's also a value in in getting the premiere access just to watch it over and over again until August. Well, I got it. Okay. So I got to tell you, because I watch something at two slash three o'clock in the morning does not mean that I'm totally awake sometimes. In this case, it was a busy week and lots was, lots were, well, I mean, a lot of things were going on. So, um, so now that I've watched it the second time, I am loving it. And there were so many things that I didn't catch the first time. I loved it the first time and I love it even more the second time. I can't wait to see it the third time. 
you know how Marvel is really good at that fan service Easter egg thing? This was one of those films that if you enjoy the original 101 Dalmatians, holy moly, mm-hmm. there are so many Easter eggs and fan service moments and things that you wouldn't even necessarily catch. Like uh, we see the, you know, again, this isn't too spoilery, but you see the development of Cruella's famous laugh uh, while in one of the scenes and just little little bits and pieces that we'll get into more here. But before we do, uh, I, w- I know that we want to jump into spoilers um, but I do, we put it out there to our Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals Facebook group, asking people if they had seen it and also what their non-spoiler review of it is. And I wanted to just go through those and share some of them. Sarah said that she loved the backstory and said, you'll fall in love with the main character who becomes, of course, the villain we all know. Our good friend, John Sakari, uh, Big Fat Panda, said he loved it. Uh, Christy <laughs> said she really enjoyed it. And then uh, Lauren said that it's kind of a mixture of The Devil Wears Prada and Joker, except for it's a Disney movie. Um, I loved Courtney's uh, review. So I'm going to read this one in full. The Emmas were both perfection as usual. The soundtrack slapped, the nostalgia was spot on, and the gritty 70s London fashion aesthetic made you feel like you were melting right into Corella's mind. Easy A, which is a great reference <laughs> to Emma Stone's, one of Emma Stone's best movies. Uh, Megan, our friend from, I think you're going to like this podcast, said that she loved it and it was so much fun. Uh, let me see if there's any others I wanted to share. I did want to mention our friend Jacob, who thought it was a little <laughs> bit too much like The Devil Wears Prada. I won't read his entire <clears throat> review, but he was Thank not you. as big of a fan as uh, some of the other ones. And so what you can do is go onto our Facebook page, especially if you end up agreeing with Jacob. You can push back on some of these other people as well. We can get a good discussion going here. Kevin Hart uh, said that the first 15 minutes were kind of slow, but then the movie was really fun from there. And then I just wanted to finish out on uh, our good friend, Brandon Davis, who of course is the host of classics. He said of all the Disney villains, finding an empathetic backstory for a woman who eventually skins dogs for fur coats is a difficult task. The filmmakers made the right decision to embrace the over the top aspects of the characters. The two Emmas were definitely having fun and it was camped the 10th power. It's fun time. Plus one of the best soundtracks I've heard in a very long time. So thank you to, everyone that shared uh, some comments about this film. It was great to have you involved in this too. If you're not part of that Facebook group, I do encourage you to join because we will continue to do these types of things as we move forward. But now it's time. It is time for us to spoil this movie. So if you have not seen the movie yet, we do encourage you to either visit your local theater or go out to Disney Plus and get it on Premiere Access. If you're listening to us in the future because you did not do that and now it's available on Disney Plus for everyone, hello, future. It's nice to see you. Uh, But we are going to start spoiling this in one, two, and three. Three. All right. So now that we're in spoilers, Brett, I will let you go to your full spoiler first impression. Anything you wanted to mention just right off the top. I, I loved, you know, I mean, there's, well, I mean, there is a laundry list of, and, and I don't know, a couture laundry list. Well, I don't know. Do you wash, do you wash couture? Do you just, I don't know, maybe you wear it once. Anyway, this is multiple viewing. So I just loved so much of it, but I liked, you know, I liked the, the voiceover you know, Cruella's voiceover. And there was just a little, she was giving you little hints of things to come and all this and, and just her takes on everything. So that was just so good. There was just, 
Vanessa, I know I'm going to say I loved it so much, you know, but I'm like going, there were specific things, but everyone was talking. There's so many things everyone was talking about. And I guess we'll probably get into, are we going to get into like the music aspect and all this? So I'll kind of stay away from those. But, um, you know, the look, everyone's talking about the look. To talk that that this is either a ripoff or, you know, another version of the Devil Wears Prada is, it is a very simplistic view of this because, um, it, this movie stands on its own. It's a Cruella origin story, period. The Devil Wears Prada is, a, is in the fabric of this fashion film, but even Miranda Priestley could learn about a bazillion lessons from the Baroness, you know? So that's, what I, that's, my, that's my overall take. And the casting is ama- amazing. The dialogue, especially on my second take when I'm like awake, <laughs> it's just like too good and so quotable. It, you know, I mean, it, it would it would be a great party film once, you know, you've watched it enough. You know, it's it's my new, it's, I don't know, it's not going to beat it, but it's definitely my new big business. I can't wait to learn all the lines. <laughs> you know, and Brett, I haven't seen The Devil Wears Prada. Um, however, I would assume that the author of the book and then also the director of the film probably drew inspiration from Cruella de Vil. So in a, like a weird meta way, it's hard to say <laughs> that the devil wears Prada is that this is copying that film because it, really the source material for that book and for this film was probably inspired by Cruella de Vil. And again, that's me not seeing it. So maybe I'm totally off base there, but Vanessa seems to be frantically shaking her head. So I think that I am on par there. The other comparison that I'm seeing that I kind of want to push back on a little bit and I I love you, Lauren, that put it in the ARP feed, but I also have seen this elsewhere, that it's comparable to the Joker. And the Joker to me was a a very nihilistic film, like just a a very dark and brooding film about uh, superheroes. And I don't see that in Cruella here. I think I do see the empathy for her that I didn't get from like a Joaquin Phoenix. And truly, you know, this to me, um, one of my first impressions of this was, I think that Emma Stone, because of the dumping on La La Land, uh, when she won her Oscar for that role, people said, you know, did she really deserve this? Because uh, that film wasn't uh, something that ultimately audiences enjoyed as much as critics. But you can tell that she's got some acting chops here. uh, And she has done remarkable work. I totally agree with you, Brett, on the voiceover and the narration throughout, because I think that that allows us to stay in tune with the character and that exposition, especially at the beginning, puts us in that world in such a way. Uh, I I do also push back, and I know it just seems like we're we're pushing back against anybody that put anything negative as far as our uh, Facebook fans are concerned. And that's not my point. I've just seen this elsewhere online too, that the montage at the beginning is a bit long. Uh, I think you need to be able to establish that shot and that culture and that film. You need to be able to go into that fashion society of the 1960s, 1970s London, where this is based in. And I think that it's done in a really good way and brings us into the character right away. Gives us a little bit of her backstory before we get her backstory, really. Vanessa, what are your first, first impressions of Cruella? My first impression is that it is very enjoyable if you like I said earlier if you love music if you love fashion I think we need to remember um that yes Cruella is a villain 
but she's not the most hated villain. There is something fun and quirky about her, especially if you live your life kind of as an outsider, if you don't necessarily fit in, if you're, if you were that kid in high school that wore all black, or maybe uh, you're, you're a bit sassy and you're just not one of the cool kids. This really speaks to you. Cruella has always spoken to me. I always thought it was very unfortunate that she wanted to kill puppies because that's the only downside I have with her. Uh, and, and the same for this film. I know what's going to happen with Cruella as the story progresses, but I very much like her. And I also loved how this film was shot. I thought it was taking what could have been a phoned in children's story, children's movie, and really elevating the elements of what makes a great film the way it's some of the scenes, the way they're shot. Um, for example, right in the beginning, when we see the girl swinging on the, the swing to escape the dogs, the camera is shot down looking at her. You have her on her back and the camera is shot up with the dogs flying over her. You have the wonderful uh, kind of uh, long shot or one, one shot, shot yeah. where they, where they have, you going down through the ceiling of the building around the hallway around this way turn that way through the door and there she is on the floor in the bathroom scrubbing and cleaning what a very interesting and visually appealing shot and it would it's not necessary they don't have to do that they don't have to have these kind of more elevated elements in this film it's a kids movie they don't have to do that but they're doing it because they're proud of their work and they're proud of the quality that they're putting into it same with the clothing we have an oscar winning costume designer costuming this film we have production design we have set design that's just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and fun and interesting and they don't have to do that it's kind of like i i always talk about harry potter the the series where you can really tell in the third film that the director, the Prisoner of Azkaban, he really elevates the movie. And it's such a huge difference from one and two. I feel this the same way about Cruella is, yes, some of the live action movies, they can be critiqued. They're for kids. But this one stands out to me. This one stands out as one that's really trying to appeal to our various senses. I totally agree with that. And I think that the director is brilliant because, of course, his name's Craig. Uh, Craig Gillespie. <laughs> well, of course. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. But I, going back to that one shot, Vanessa, it establishes how low she is in that department yeah. store. So she's gotten this job basically through theft, you know, through uh, happenstance where Jasper uh, changes out the resumes. But then she is so low um, that that one shot establishes that like you'll see every other employee doing every other thing in this store before you see her. And it just automatically in your mind puts you in that sense that she's so low uh, down there. So yeah, and I, I think we need to just dive right in. Now, I don't want to necessarily spend the whole episode talking about our characters and our actors that go along and with I this. And I swear, Craig, if, if you start talking to us about Anita and Roger, very first thing in this film, I'm going to I'm gonna lose it because you did that to us on <laughs> 101 Dalmatians. We had 101 different kinds of dogs to talk about, and you wanted to talk about the two humans with the least amount of lines. Do not do that to us again, okay? Well, the good thing is there's only five dogs, I think, in this whole film. Uh, they're all very 
very wonderful in their own way, although the Dalmatians are pretty mean and they end up killing the mother, holy moly. But um, I do want to just dive right into talking about uh, our Emmas because I think that they really drive the story. And then there are some supporting characters, particularly Horace and Jasper, that I think need to be mentioned as well. So I don't necessarily want to spend a whole ton of time on this because we can gush on them all day long, but we do have to start with Emma Stone uh, because she is our titular character here. And I think that she delivers such a wonderful uh, acting performance. And Brett, I want to come to you because you specifically mentioned a speech she gives when she sort of fully embraces Cruella. And to me, that is the pinnacle of her acting in this movie. Yes. I mean, I mean, again, for, for any, okay. So anyone who poo-poos her performance and Oscar win in La La Land, let me see you in the, in the back. Cause I have, anyway, I'm like going, we need to discuss that. I'm just like going, you know, I'm like going, she's, and, and in, and in the favorite, you know, she was so good. So she's bringing all of that. But in this scene, you know, it's like every time we're kind of, we're kind of getting the idea why she becomes who she becomes. And in that scene, you know, she, she's, the, I kind of called it the making of Corella parts one and two. And so since you're talking about, this is part two. So she's found out that, that the Baroness is her mother and that she is maniacal when, you know, and then, so she's, she's at the scene at the fountain where she's, you know, spent so much time lovingly remember her mother and she's just coming to terms with this is who I am. And it's shot so beautifully and the dialogue is so good, but she, but hurts her pauses, you know, and then it's just so real. And then, you know, she kind of turns it at the end, you know, I'm Cruella, you know, and then loved that. And she took the time to really feel those lines and then to turn little twists that make them, you know, kind of funny and, you know, over the top comical too. So, ah, you know, she when is, she's brilliant, I love her and everything, but this is, again, I can't wait to watch it again on the big screen next time. Oh yes. When people uh, talk about Christopher Reeves and how he does a wonderful job of playing Clark Kent and playing Superman, I find mm-hmm. it the same way viewing this, and I've only viewed it once, uh, and I'm not putting her necessarily on the same level. I'm just using that as an analogy that uh, she establishes such a great character between Estella and Cruella, and she is able to live in both worlds very comfortably. And so you can see her in those little moments where she's starting to become Cruella. I'm thinking about where she ends up drinking and changing the front window to sure, that, yes. that's sort of that one of the first times that you start to really see that come out in her adult life that she's transforming into Cruella uh, from Estella. And then there's actually the scene in the ballroom where the Baroness determines that she is in fact uh, the same person and she kind of goes into the Estella voice as Cruella like making fun of herself and it's just wonderful how she encapsulates both characters and lives in both of those worlds. Vanessa your thought on Emma Stone? I thought she was fantastic. She I personally feel and seeing her other films that she has a bit of a zany campy side to her as well so it's you know I think a lot of times where actors are most successful is when they're being there being authentic and I think she's able to really draw on that in herself and it comes out really well it it also kind of harkens back to Glenn Close's performance which I think is just wonderful it's a more extreme 
take on Cruella. But even in the moment where um, she says, the Baroness, I want to see her. Like that to me, I was like, oh, that, that sounds like Glenn Close. That definitely sounds like she's drawing on where we've seen Cruella before. And you can start to, if, if you think of it as like canon as I am now, you can see the transition from this film into the other live action films. So I thought she just merged those two seamlessly and she was absolutely wonderful. And I... I, I just, I don't have anything bad to say about her. I don't really quite understand the critiques of her in this film. I will say that the other Emma to me is more, well, let me put it this way. I had my eyes on her more often. I was so drawn to her in the scenes. When the scenes with the two of them together, I was more focused on Emma Thompson than I was on Emma Stone. But that's not really taking anything away from Emma Stone's performance. I just thought she was fantastic in this as well. And see, this might be my one controversial take. Well, I always have controversial takes with you two, but I would disagree with that because to me, I would have been able to watch Emma Stone all day long. And to me, transitioning now into the Baroness and Emma Thompson, it was at times, now don't, don't take me out to the back here, Brett, but at times it was a little too much for me. Um, oh, no. And I know, I, have to go. Oh, I know. I'm that, sorry, uh, bye. I'm like, I know. <laughs> Um, I kind of expected this I, I, It is perfectly fine to, for you to have that rather limited view. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like, because like, you, you're talking, I mean, this was, this was just the wonderful opportunity for both of them to have so much fun. And especially the, sec- the second time that I'm watching it, I'm just like going, they're both amazing. But I'm like going, Emma Thompson, her line readings are so... Well, you know, like, like when she asked, when when Estella Corella asks her anyway something about, um, you know, you killed my mother. It's, you'll have to be more specific. I'm just like going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and just the way, you know, for the writers to give her that line. I'm just and so many, you know, I mean, there's there's just line after line after line, you know, and she cuts her and she goes, fabrics. I need this red or, you know, show me something in this red. I'm just like, like, oh my gosh, you know, see Miranda, you know, she would learn a lesson from that. So, well, you know, and I do think we have to accept uh, a slight bit of camp in the characters because Cruella is such a larger than life villain. So if you're going to make an even more larger than life villain for this character, then I do completely understand that. And I guess so we've uh, convinced to- him. <laughs> I I wanted to ask this question for sure. Were either of you at all remotely surprised that she was her mother? Because, uh, you know, Anna and I are watching this and we're just like, well, yeah, of course she's her mother. Like, of course that's what they're going to do. Was that supposed to be a more shocking reveal than it was? Or is that just me like being, you know, too aware of the story beats? Vanessa? Well, I... I I don't know. Yes and no. I've been playing this game with myself where I try to predict, I know this is an awful game to play, do not recommend this, where I try to predict what's going to happen in the movie before I watch it. So I, I try to think, okay, how, how are we going to make Cruella likable? How is she going to turn evil? Okay, she has to have something happen to her. And is it, it's probably going to be something with the parents because it's always something with the parents. <laughs> and so when I started watching it, I, I kept saying, oh, that's why she hates the Dalmatians. And then it wasn't really why she hated the Dalmatians. So she doesn't hate them. And then I'm like, oh, that's why she wanted to kill the Baron. Oh, wait, no, it's her mom. 
it's her mom now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's her mom. So I kind of, I saw it coming, but I didn't see it coming until much later in the film. It was not something I picked up on right away, but that doesn't mean that other people might pick, <laughs> might not pick up. I'm I was just, totally okay with it. Yeah. And, and again, like we know how the story is going to end and, and that's where I, I take a, I give them a bit of a pass because how are they possibly going to come up with a story that's so creative and so, uh, so many twists that you have no idea what's coming. You know, what's going to happen at the end. She's going to turn into the bad guy eventually. So she's going to be crazy. We know she's going to turn crazy. So how do you do that and make it surprising? I think they did a good job with what they were working with. So I was surprised a few times. The Dalmatian thing really of course that was like the first thing we see that surprised me so I'm a little more forgiving of the storyline there's only one part of the story that I thought wasn't quite as forgiving but I'll get into that later all right well well, that's a nice tease for later uh certainly I will say that you know even though I said it was uh, slightly over the top I loved so many of her (laughs) mannerisms that she carried throughout I want to redeem myself in the eyes of you two here uh I thought the Baroness was keep working uh, Mm -hmm. a wonderful character overall and uh provided just a great uh foil for our Cruella oh uh, Oh, Vanessa's like crazy can we say her yes the line delivery is wonderful brett but her physical acting look i and maybe this is why i was so intrigued by her was that i had just watched sense and sensibility where she plays someone very meek and mild and i have watched her in love actually where she plays a mom who kind of doesn't have the best things happen to her not a very powerful not a very strong character i have not quite seen her in this role in this way and when she walks in with that body language and she's very sexy emma thompson is very yes. sexy oh sure five to one by hot. the doors playing oh I could not take my eyes off her. I couldn't take my eyes off her for the rest of the film. It was hard for me to root for Corella because I kind of wanted them both to win. I know. That right? would have been, I mean, fashion genius and fashion genius, sir. You Why know, we bring I'm like the going, two together. That's you know? what I was thinking. I'm like but, going, could you imagine they would take over the world? Right. So maybe <laughs> that's just why I'm so in love with Emma Thompson in this movie is because I just watched Sense and Sensibility, which is totally different from Cruella. I'll tell you what, to quote another very famous Disney villain that I really want a backstory to now, you can never underestimate the power of body language because I will say <laughs> uh, they're acting in this, both of them, both the Emmas, I think that's what makes the film for me. And that's what takes it to the next level is that both of them really do. They're present in the moment in every single scene and their reactions and their small um, little body cues and facial tics that they do. Holy moly, uh, just one wonderful masterclass really in acting especially character acting like this uh brett any comments on either emma before we move on to our other characters because like i said i don't necessarily want to dwell on this all episode i can't wait to watch it again they were perfection Fair enough. The only other ones I want to bring up specifically to talk about, um, there's a whole cast of characters here, but I want to talk about Horace and Jasper because it was cool that they came into the story so early. I wasn't sure how they were going to use them. And then talk about Easter eggs. Did you notice that they're driving like the exact truck from the animated series throughout uh, some of the scenes in this? And I also thought it was really cool, you know, the, um, the entire company whether it be the parks, whether it be the studios, they've added uh, sort of this 
emphasis on inclusion. And uh, I thought that this was a, a really good and interesting way that they changed some of the uh, ethnic backgrounds of our characters that are in this film. But it was done in a way that wasn't even uh, spotlighted. It wasn't um, something that they were like, oh, look at us that we're doing. They just did it. And it was perfect because it just showed that anyone could play any of these characters. And so I don't necessarily want to comment on that overall, but just to say, just like Disney did, uh, they are starting to do this more and more. And I think that's wonderful. But let's yes. talk Jasper and Horace. Uh, so Joel Fry and Paul Walker Hauser, uh, I'll take them both at the same time. So Vanessa, you go ahead and start with our duo here. I did really like Joel Fry's portrayal of Jasper. I think having a character that is usually one note and making it more insightful with more depth, I thought that was well done, even in the writing, but specifically in his acting. So I do give hats off to him. Horace is the same. He is dumb in the movie. He's dumb in every movie. (laughs) He's kind of dumb in this movie, and he does it well. Um, they, this was a tough one for me because this is where I'm not sure that they were needed in this movie. I would have been fine with them being characters that they met later in life, that Cruella met later in life. I definitely can see some critique over why they were written into the story so early on in her life, but I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I especially think Joel Fry does a really, really good job. But that is my one little bit of criticism that I've listened to and go, hmm, I can understand that. It's like dipping your toe into the water of all these hot takes. You're selling them like they're hot cakes here, Vanessa. You got some hot takes. I try to be understanding. And so... I will say I um, this is one where much like you all had the same response uh, with the with Emma Thompson. I have to disagree with you because I think that without them, I think that their um, camaraderie is uh, woven into Estella as she transforms into Cruella. Now you can even tell like um, there's a scene where they're in their flat and um, she has decided that she is going to wear this personification of Cruella throughout and uh, Horace and Jasper are both like, what, what is she doing today? You know, like what is going on? And I think that's because um, I, I think that she needed, first of all, I think from a plot device standpoint, they were needed to move the story forward so you could see them go on their capers together. But I also think that their characters actually played into some of her psyche and to some of her backstory too. I hear you. I I agree with you in that they de- there definitely needed to be characters that showed the switch in Cruella, whether that be immediate or a slow transition. It was more of a slow transition in this film. I'm just not totally convinced that it needed to be Horace and Jasper, not other characters that, and I know we'll probably mention this, but the other character that is the wardrobe person who has Artie? his own... Artie. Artie. Mm-hmm. Yes, Art. He is fantastic. I wanted more of him in the movie. I loved him so much. Brett? 
I have to go back for just a moment because I think we have a history making moment here. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Vanessa, I love you so much. But ah. Craig is right. Um, I'm like, oh, going, uh, <laughs> I know what? This is a first. Is I know. I'm like going, this is weird. So it can happen. Craig can be right. And um, <laughs> so I know I'm like going so important. It's so important. And that it gives you the beginning of the backstory you know, that how this all, I think this Okay, I am just loving this film, and it. it anyway, I, I I could go on and on, but I would just be repeating myself because I am right now because it's just amazing. But I mean, but this was history break, history making. I'm like going, I agree with Craig. Oh, it makes Don't me question my whole existence. It, Brett. Holy it, will, it, will, it sort of makes me question my whole existence. But you know, <laughs> I'll just give you this one, okay? <laughs> and I, I will say that uh, that you know the the rest of the ensemble is so wonderful too. Mark Strong is great as the valet because I didn't see that necessary. Like that was the part of the mother storyline that I wasn't expecting that he would be so much on the side of Cruella um, at that point. So Brett, did you you kind of I have my indicated own suspicions. You had I don't know if the Baron was really the father. So anyway, I'm like going. That's something else I can't quite understand. I'm, I'm like, like going. How did I'm like this going because he cares for her, and he and and so my question is, you know, when he sees when he sees uh, Cruella at you know the ball where she's wearing you know the white and then the red you know and all that sort of stuff that he just I wonder when he knows all of this and I think it's from the get-go he get he knows what's going on but yeah I mean it's such a yeah so I'm like going there is more to I want the backstory of the backstory of you know John um uh, the valet or valet and um and the baroness because i'm like going there's something going on there <laughs> i like <laughs> that take i i think you're right brett you're on something i almost I'm, why I'm do i keep positive. you around i'm like going oh you know why she keeps her around so. <laughs> i'm very positive through my viewings of downton abbey that it's valet i believe but uh downton well, abbey fans no, come at me i think it's no i mean it depends on where you are okay you know? okay well that's very uh, diplomatic of you <laughs> I'm like, oh, see, we had, see, the marriage was so lovely for a moment. And then you had to criticize yet again. No, just kidding. Criticize. Just kidding. I'm like, I didn't oh, criticize. It was just okay. a little, it was just a little critique. But oh, here we go. Let's, uh, let's, let's go just back. say that the rest of the ensemble. I love you so much, Craig, even still. Even <laughs> let's just say that the rest of the ensemble is also fantastic, but I do oh. want to move into. Uh, oh, oh, we can't. No, we have okay. to. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. I, I have to talk about um, Gerald, the Liberty Manager. Jamie um, Dimitrou. How about that? You know, okay. And he, well, he was in The Great, you know, on um, on Hulu. And so good. And back to Artie for just a moment, because I'm sorry, Vanessa, I start to shut you down with, with Artie, but I'm like going, he's in Everybody's Talking About Jamie, which has such an amazing buzz. I don't really know what that's about, but it seems pretty cool. But again, occlus- you know, inclusiveness and everything, but his character was so good. We can go back to him. I love the, the supporting characters are so good. And Roger, amazing. And who knew that Anita Darling, that Darling was her last name. I know. I'm like going, you know, so just Anita Darling. I thought it was just, you know, like an affectionate darling. You didn't know that that was her last name? Okay, you I, know what, on, Craig? I agree with Brett. You're starting to drive us what? nuts. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. 
No, I didn't realize that. I don't know. It, 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 it always so slipped. Fun. I never caught that. And I, I, I love that it was clarified for us. So is it John Deere? Oh, John Deere. Sorry. We live in the Midwest. Um, so no, it's Roger. Roger Deere. And no, 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 no. That's no. The Darlings are in, from, from uh, Peter Pan. So I'm like, oh, so, right. The Darlings are from Reader Pan. But this is Anita. Her, anyway, what's her last name in the, in the film? It's Rod, what's Roger's last name? Well, and in this movie, he's just it's just Roger. Roger. <laughs> he's just Roger. I'm like going. He's okay. just Roger. But anyway, it's a neat to make the to bring this around to a circle. It's Anita Darling. So, <laughs> okay. Well, let's on. go ahead. And what I want to do now is I want to get into the production design, and then also I want to get into this soundtrack because it is killer. It is one of those where like. Um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 level soundtrack here as far as uh, the film is concerned. But then also the production design and costume design really put us into that fashion world and into the 70s. It was really fun. Like it, uh, it brought us right there. And, you know, it's interesting because, of course, the original film was set considerably earlier in London. Um, but I love that they kind of updated it and made it a bit more modern. And in that 60s, 70s era, it was just a really cool way to do that. But Brett, we can go to you first because you're my production design guy. So talk about <laughs> the production design and then I'm going to have Vanessa talk about the soundtrack. Amazing. It's just amazing. And, you know, there was like little things that I'm like going, it's my belief that when you're creating any sort of art, you know, whether it be theater or, or motion picture or whatever, that you create your own language and then you're, you create your own language in your world and then you live in that world. I think that was, you know, kind of the the primary um, kind of example of that is Moulin Rouge, where you create this language and you live in that in that world. And in this world, both be, it was just it was everything. But the production design was it was I'm sure it was very fun to do, and it was fun to look at that and all that. But it's um, I did I'm like going I had to look. And we're kind of, I'm sorry, not to get into costumes for a second, but I'm like, I had to, I did research. I'm like going, when did the garbage bag that we see in this film, when did that come into existence? So I Googled it because that's the best source for all information and kidding. And um, the garbage bag, the black garbage bag um, came, became popular and in wide uh, use in the, in 19, in the 1950s. So I thought there might've been an anachronism, but there was not. But again, there are a couple of, we'll get to the music and all that, but I, I felt as though there were some anachronisms, but I liked it because they created their own language. So whether it was everything happened in the, the time, in real time is it when it happened in the film was not really a problem for me at all. So, but the design, the, I mean, can this just say Oscar all over it? You know, you know I would say down. Uh, it's a gauntlet throwdown of production design and costume design and everything. Certainly, oh, that's yeah. what, what kept coming into my mind when I was thinking about these two is that um, traditionally the Oscars would not necessarily look to Disney and what they would see as a, again, a, a child's film, um, even though I would uh, push back against that pretty hard. But uh, the costume design in particular, I don't know how that's going to be um, avoided come this time next year or a little bit earlier next year, uh, because it is just remarkable. And again, it puts you in that world it it immediately 
transports you into 1964 at the beginning and then what we presume to be the early to mid 70s um, in the later part of the film and uh, the amazing just individualized costumes that are coming out uh, for just brief moments in this film, especially at the beginning when Cruella is first starting to design, there's some amazing pieces that we see for less than a second in this film and it just doesn't stop. And then uh, the idea to have them all look like Cruella at that last charity gala that we get to go to, uh, just a remarkable job. And again, I agree with you, Brett, that sometimes, you know, um, those details might try to take you out if they put something in, you know, if they had someone in 1970 using a cell phone, we would be like, what is this all about? But, you know, I think that because they created the world so well for you, that stuff kind of melted away for me. I didn't even, Mm -hmm. I didn't even really think about um, the, maybe some of the inaccuracies as they moved around because the production design overall was just so spectacular. Uh, Vanessa, did you have comments on production design before we get into Well, I I just agree with what you're both saying. And I do hope this is pretty early on in the new Oscar season. So it's, I'm curious to see if this is going to be forgotten by the time nominations come around. I certainly hope it's not. I feel that it, it is a very strong contender for both those categories, but we will have to see what happens uh, as the award season actually gets closer, we just kind of came out of award season, so it's it's a surprise to me that we would see such a great contender so soon. But I I think it's very deserving. You know, it's interesting because first of all, we just had the longest award season in history, right? And yeah. um, it might have been uh, in some categories slight uh, slim pickings because a lot of these studios wanted to delay and delay and delay until theaters were open or until the world was back to quote unquote normal, whatever the case may be. And so, yes, we are going to have kind of a truncated award season because awards are going to start again here in January and uh, nominations for those awards words will begin as early as December. And so it's just, um, it'll be interesting to see because then we do also have almost two years worth of cinema that is going to be released between now and then, which is why I think Disney looking at the calendar, this was actually supposed to be a December release uh, initially. It was going to be out in December of 2020. And so I think that their thought there is to get this into kind of a summer release session. Um, This is a premiere access movie coming right before we get the probably the largest premiere access movie which will be black widow in july unless more people just go to the theater to see that because we're more comfortable at that point um but it is really interesting that they have put out this movie i i certainly hope it's not forgotten and i think in a category like costuming um you know black panther won that a couple of years back that was a february release so I do think that there are still these where they can break through. Is uh, either of the Emmas getting nominated in their categories for this? Probably not, because uh, again, I think that there is a bit of bias against a movie like this. But mm-hmm. something like costuming, production design, I could totally see it breaking through for one of those. Brett, you had a thought on costuming before we continue to move on. Well, again, the idea, and I probably I would need to watch it again and do kind of research, but the combination of costuming and music in creating the language of this film. It's interesting that, you know, we see that it starts in 1964 and then because of the music, you know, they have car wash and they have Blondie and all this sort of stuff that isn't really, it isn't in a sort of, 
there are different time periods for that, you know, but it's just kind of thrown in together. This was this time period. And I can, I can totally get behind that because they have created their language. It is interesting though, that they're trying, they're saying that this is seventies and all this when really, you know, the entire look of the, of the Baroness's uh, house of fashion, which it is couture. So that is, you know, a whole nother thing, but, but the whole silhouette. Okay. Now this is the geeky part of this. Okay. The, the whole, all of her silhouettes are, at least from what I can see, they're based on 1950s. It's, you know, it's the new look. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's, you know, um, uh, so yeah, so it's like, it's, it's very specific. And I'm like going, if this is 60s, 70s, her, uh, her look at her couturier house is very retro so it's not it's not I don't believe it's of the period I would have to do a little bit more research but it's gorgeous and it looks good and you know you know if if you can make a dress that turns into a weapon yeah it's good you know and and one of the things that makes for a really great script is layers in within the production and within the acting that allow for some kind of uh, additional uh, conflict right so is that their way of saying that she is she was the queen of she the was. old look and right. now Cruella is coming in with this new look and maybe and I might be speaking out of turn you know if we interviewed the screenwriter they might be like no we just wanted them both but but at the same time maybe you're onto something there Brett I'm like going I was just agreeing for you for the second time what is it? Well, I guess, well, I guess you've just, you're just, you're just brilliant now. What do I say? I'm just brilliant. I'm just brilliant. Um, <laughs> Vanessa. Just kidding. <laughs> as, as it's our great. listener, Courtney said, this soundtrack slaps and I want you, I know you mentioned it in your first impressions. So I wanted to just spend a minute to talk about the music. Uh, Brett actually provided a wonderful transition to talk to the music of this film. I hesitate to even talk about specific songs in this soundtrack because there are so many, there are so many that are so good. I know I'm going to leave out favorites that people are going to go, why didn't she mention this song? It's just because there are so many songs. A lot of times they're, they're very much to emphasize um, the character or, or the situation, but there's also some that you kind of hear in the background that kind of subtly set the mood for this scene and i've just absolutely love this soundtrack we've got it's very gritty it's very edgy i think it's fine that it's not from the same genre or the the same decade as the film we kind of see that with marvelous mrs mazel they they very much pull from all different kinds of genres just to get across the the theme of that particular episode but we've got the gritty voice i mean you can't get any grittier than tina turner's voice we've got uh boots are made for walking which is a very rebellious song i mentioned uh five to one from the door so there's really strong guitar licks and, and bass lines that come into this film that make it really edgy and colorful we have feeling good i don't know if that was the nina simone version but that's a perfect song car wash and then at the end with the rolling stones sympathy for the devil i think that's a great way to end it of course i've seen this before in another film uh there's a film called fallen starring denzel washington and Elias cotillas is in it and john goodman they and that's about a movie about the devil by the way the actual devil and it ends with that song so I was kind of like my mom and I watched this together and we just looked at each other and like, Oh, fallen. They, they probably didn't realize they were stealing it, but 
it's been done before, but I don't really care that it's been done before because it's so perfect to end the movie with symp- sympathy for the devil. <sighs> I just love the soundtrack. Sympathy I can't Deville. <laughs> right. Sympathy for <laughs> Deville. So I'm very excited to listen to this soundtrack over and over again. I've done it with guardians of the galaxy one and two. You only said one Craig, but two is very good. We had the chain in the second one. So yeah, I, this is just a soundtrack that I'm going to love listening to. And without this soundtrack, this is where I get nervous. Without the soundtrack, would I love the movie as much as I do? Well, oh. but that's the whole that's the whole point. I mean, that's that's going back to um, even score. And I know soundtrack music uh, works with a film so well. They, you know, um, everyone that you hear in interviews says that Star Wars was not Star Wars until John Williams scored that film and then it became it became what it became and i you know so i don't think that that's a critique of the film at all vanessa to say that the music truly elevates this film to another level it's very funny that you said you were going to offend someone out there by not mentioning a song and then you didn't mention my favorite song stone cold crazy when she's driving for the first time right i knew it would happen that was a great shout out that was so so great uh and it was nina simone uh version of feeling good i just looked up the official soundtrack track Uh, so that was on there as well but it was just uh remarkable for sure brett you have any thoughts on the soundtrack and the music and how that uh, played into the movie well i think music is often used as um like as a a a placemaker it's a way if your audience is aware of the music um that's used in the period it's a shortcut um you know and again in this you know we sort of mentioned the timeline it's a little out of timeline but if if but if you anyway i like that i like i just loved it because i'm like going it it, it informs your audience about a time that was different you know a, a, in a time in the past and so and and, and it's going to sell a lot too who are you kidding i'm like going ching and how much money something keep talking about how much money do they spend to get the rights to all this well who cares because it works right and again the soundtrack is is a very smart tool to use in the storytelling because again you're you're half you have the whole movie is about liking Corella. you have to like the villain and you need to feel like an outsider and these many of these songs are songs that you might make back in the day kiddos we would make something we take something called a compact disc and we would make out a list of songs that we would play to feel rebellious and feel like we're we're really tough and we're you know we're the bad guys don't mess with me <laughs> these are the songs that you would play on your don't mess with me soundtrack that you would put on your cd in your car before spotify so that's how i really look at it is i <laughs> like if I were a teenager wanting to rebel these were the songs that I would pick and I would more align with Cruella than I would anyone else in this film she says that in the very beginning of the narration that she wasn't rebelling against her mother she's rebelling against the world that's every teenager that I've ever met so (laughs) you know so it's just really smartly done and how the music is incorporated into this film you just have so many gen xers yelling at you right now it's because we're millennials vanessa that we say compact disc it really they're like we put mixtapes on cassette come on you know what don't even come at me with that because back in the day i would sit by my radio with my cassette and i'd wait for britney spears to come on i'd stick my cassette in there and i hit record and i would steal that music from air so (laughs) i know very well what cassette tapes are that's my first my first music ever given to me was the bad album from michael jackson and janet jackson's album on cassette tape okay and before that 
we had records and we did have plenty of those. I listened to Barry Manilow's whole album on on a record now i know that's not everyone's first pick but that's what i had to work with so okay her name was lola she was the showgirl that's what i know <laughs> my first cassette ever was ray charles so i get it i get it um no you know uh i will say that you provided a a very interesting insight into there too because you talked about them backing up the money truck here to get this soundtrack sometimes that shows the confidence that a studio has in a piece because they know that this is going to recoup that expense so um and again not to this isn't meant to belittle any other film but there was a critique of wonder woman 84 when it came out that this was set in the 80s and it could have used so much beautiful 80s music and it didn't well maybe that speaks a bit to the confidence of what the studio had in the story that they weren't willing to pay the extras to be able to get those types of pieces. And obviously, the, whoever signed off on these licensing agreements, because it would have cost a pretty penny, especially when you're talking about Queen and the Rolling Stones and Tina Turner. I mean, this is not going to be cheap stuff. So um, it is. it just shows that they were confident in this film moving forward. Any final thoughts on basically anything? All we have remaining is what didn't work for us and our wrap-up. So anything in production and costuming and music and any of that that you want to talk about, or we can go right into if there was an area that didn't quite work for us. Let's All get right. into it. Let's get into it. Vanessa, you teased it earlier. You got to let that audience know what was the part of the film that didn't quite work for you? Well, I, I did want to acknowledge, and I actually did earlier, the Horace and Jasper moment. That is a critique of people that people have had is the storyline of oh look they're trying to tie everything into a perfect bow they brought these characters in as young people that wasn't necessary okay i'm fine with it truly i love the movie i can kind of understand the critique there but what really didn't work for me was the cgi now i'm not a cgi expert i'm sorry if i am just being a total ding dong here and you're like no that was very good but for me i just felt like this is 2000 21 I, I know it wasn't created in 2021 the cgi wasn't but the dogs looked fake to me a little bit most that most got me was her falling the mom falling off the ledge her arms flailing about it felt very first or second harry potter harry potter on the broom flailing about that's that's what i saw i could I could be totally wrong here. I'm not a CGI expert. That's just something that I noticed. And for me to notice it probably means that other people noticed it as well. Vanessa, go back and watch when she parachutes, when she is falling off the cliff and she parachutes into the water because it was extremely distracting, bad CGI. Um, and again, I don't know, maybe that's because this film didn't utilize a ton of CGI and so they didn't invest the type of money that a major action picture would have. But it's like, I'm with you, you know, I, I don't go out there and try to look for um, visual effects and what goes wrong with them or whatever. But that did take me out of that scene for sure. I actually didn't mention, I didn't notice as much the mom falling. And maybe that's because I was so shocked what, by the mo mom falling to death immediately at the beginning of this film. And then Anna sitting next to me and I'm like, that was pretty shocking, wasn't it? That they just like killed her like that. And she's like, ah, parents always die in Disney. It's fine. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah. the, it, it's, but, yes. But yeah, uh, you know, it, it, 
I, I would totally agree with you with that critique for sure. Um, Brett, did you have any critiques? Because I have one that's fairly generic and probably going to get me yelled at by both of you. And oh, our no, no, no. I, I'm having a love fest today with you, Craig, just so you know, okay. um, until you, until you mess up. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, in my estimation, again, these are just my opinions. You are apps, your, your opinions are all valid, even when they're wrong. Um, so did I say that twice? Am I repeating myself? Well, I shouldn't be anyway. Okay. So in my notes for this, Okay, I will elaborate. But initially, what didn't work? Nothing. It's perfection. But, okay, because I'm a fan, I'm a fan, and I love this movie, and I can't wait to watch it again. And I'm like, going after a year of everything that we have been with, I that you can enjoy over-the-top crazy fun, you know. Anyway, I sound like I'm wrapping it up. But let me go back to, okay, the CGI moment. Okay, the dogs were a little bit of an issue for me too. I'm like going, and I didn't know are they, are are they are they ever real? And I'm like going, and I don't know. I guess that's kind of a good thing if you can't kind of tell. But I'm like going, is the puppy that she see? I mean, is any of it real? And I'm thinking, I want that little dog to be in it, and I want you know the what is it, Wink? <laughs> I want Wink to be a real dog. And, and anyway, so and when the when the Dalmatians are watching you know, the UK sports, I'm like going, you can train dogs to do that. You might just not be able to get them to, to so elegantly push, you know, someone over the edge and do a big old flip and land back on. I don't know, my dog's really good at jumping up on me and pushing me around. So, but yeah, so I, I really don't like to have criticisms, but I agree with both of you with the CGI just a little bit, unless of course it was a, it was a choice and they wanted a look and they wanted people to go, well, they spent all their money on the music. So I will give them a pass on the CGI maybe. Well, I do agree. I mean, you got to, you know, a budget is a budget. So you're not going to be able to just blow the budget on everything and look at their costumes, look at the production design overall, look at the soundtrack that we just spoke about, look at the actors and actresses they brought on board. I mean, I think overall um, we can, they could be forgiven a bit for the visual aesthetics. This is where uh, everyone is going to yell at me because this is such a generic and bland critique of the film. But for me, it's about 15 minutes too long. And uh, it is two hours and 15 minutes long. And there are parts of this film that dragged for me. uh, And also for Anna, when I was talking to her as well, she specifically mentioned, and I'll uh, I'll throw her under the bus a little bit here, because the two of you might have really loved this scene. There was the scene in the first gala um, where Cruella and uh, the Baroness are meeting really for the first time. And it seemed like their dialogue back and forth went on forever. And you probably could have cut some of that out because it was very much like the same kind of, uh, you know, very sophisticated fashionista British voices going at each other for a while um, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And there's little moments like that, that I feel like you could have taken out Um, beyond that. I think that there are again, very small little bits and moments that we could draw out of this film and uh, still have the overall world and aesthetic altogether, but it would allow for a slightly shorter film and more of a smoother experience throughout because there were times, and I will say that most of these films I watch starting at nine o'clock at night uh, and much like Brett watching at three in the morning, you know, sometimes I am very sleepy or tired. And so there are times where maybe a nine minute power nap was needed. Mm -hmm. I will say 
specifically for me, where I actually did doze a little bit was when she was making the Dalmatian cape because I woke up and they were talking about, did she kill the dogs to make this cape? And I'm like, I actually don't know if she killed the dogs to make this cape. I don't know if they showed that. I need to go back and watch that part because I did kind of like doze just a little bit during that part. So I know that that's an extremely generic critique, but I'm making it. This movie was just a bit too long for me. Vanessa. Okay. So first of all, Craig, she does not kill the dogs. Just no, so I saw that know. because in the later on when they go and try to kill her via right. fire, the dogs are um, there. The dogs are there. Yeah, but no dogs were injured in the making of this film or in the making of that coat. What's interesting is I also thought it was quite long, and I didn't look at the time. And uh, as I was watching, I thought, man, how much. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with the long movie. I just was surprised because most of the films that we see are much shorter. They're about maybe 90 minutes or so, max two hours, but this actually goes over two hours. So I'm fine with the time length, but I literally thought to myself, Craig is having a hard time with this time length. I guarantee it. He's going to have a big problem with this because you often will mention the runtime of these movies what's interesting about the scene that you mentioned is i think where they spent a lot of that time is in trying to convince us of the transition of estella to cruella so the scene you mentioned i actually listened to an interview with the director and he says that in that scene that's actually a totally different character that's Estella pretending to be Cruella that's neither Estella nor Cruella it's a third character that Emma Stone is having to convey and I think that maybe why they took so much time in that scene same with when uh is trying to have this sincere conversation about you know I miss Estella and, and we have more moments of like that in the film where they're I think they're really trying to sell us on this mental change and this transition and how it's very slow i think that's perhaps why the scene why the movie is a bit longer is because we have scenes like that i'm fine with it truly i'm fine with it but i think that could be an explanation and i do think too that um they have this mindset that animated films still need to be about 90 minutes because the audience is primarily, it's made for children, even though we all enjoy them. But much like when you go to their Broadway productions, Disney Broadway productions tend to be two hours and 45 minutes because they feel like that's what the audience expects. And I do think that most of these live action remakes or sequels and prequels and things like that, they do tend to be in that two to two and a half hour timeframe. And that must just be what they have decided uh, as sort of a studio, whether that be Alan Horn or, or whoever's making those decisions, uh, that's kind of the time frame that they have. It's just, I wish that this was closer to two hours than the 215. That's all. Uh, and it, it's not a major critique. I still really enjoyed the film. Uh, before we go to our wrap-ups, Brett, you have something. Oh, yes. About this length, this question of length with the film. I'm like going, give me the, the director's cut and I want to see more of it. I want to see it all. I want to see the, you know, make this Lord of the Rings, make it a 12 hour film. Well, maybe not, but you know, I want to see more. Hashtag release the Craig cut, right? I guess it would be the Gillespie <laughs> cut, but we can call it the Craig cut. Hashtag release the Craig cut. Uh, so we're going to wrap up now. I really enjoyed this film and to quote Vanessa Ferguson, I liked it. So uh, that's all I have for a wrap up. Brett, what that's do you have? all you're going to quote. I had so many more elegant things to say this go around. 
You did. You did. Thank and you. And, and you've, th- you've, yeah, thrown the gauntlet down that I will be um, more um, eloquent and, you know, the next time. Well, give me, yeah. Good luck with that. Anyway, I liked it. This is, well, this is, it's our mantra for um, the Front Row Network for, for people who like movies. And I'm like going, I like movies. I don't like them all, but I like so many Disney ones. Are you getting? So this one, oh, I just cannot wait to, it's going to be fun therapy over the top. I can't wait until maybe this will be my new birthday movie <gasps> and then we'll quote it. Wouldn't that be fun? Anyway. Yeah. Cause I just can't wait. I've been working on the lines already. Cause you know, because no, really, because words in the beyond talented hands and voices of Emma Thompson and, and Emma Stone are weapons, you know, let's see. Yeah. Oh, like grubby, grubby girl, you know, fabrics. Can you get me a red, like that and gratitude is for losers, you know? And then, you know, Estella was like, going, that seems uncalled for and almost, anyway, I just can't wait. I cannot wait to learn all of the lines and, you know, talk back to the screen. I can't wait. I, uh, I, I agree with you. I think this is completely rewatchable and I can't wait to do that myself. Vanessa, wrap it up for us. When we reviewed Ryan, the last dragon, I believe I said we hadn't really had a movie come out in a while. And I, and I did enjoy that movie. I had forgotten about soul that actually had come out. And then of course we had Mulan. And then I think before that we had onward. So of all those films, I think this is my favorite. I think this is the one that I have watched onward a few times, but to be honest, I really haven't watched Mulan or Soul, or Ryan the Last Dragon, they were all wonderful, but this is the film that I was really looking forward to, because it is one that I'm going to rewatch over and over again. I've already watched it a few times, so I think it's great, and also, um, can we just give a little shout out to my boy Figaro, who stars in this movie? I don't know if you noticed, but he plays Buddy the dog, and he does a wonderful job, so (laughs) my sweet baby boy, you did a good job. Mama loves you. (laughs) I will say that I think we were getting towards a cliff where people started to say, because of all the casting announcements and everything, they started to say, hey, Disney, knock it off with these live action remakes. We don't need them. We don't want them. Who asked for this movie? Even when the trailer came out for this movie, people said, who wanted this? Who asked for it? And then they deliver something like this. You know what I mean? And, And I think that this propels why they're doing that as a studio moving forward. They're going to make a a boatload of money on this from a um, perspective of Disney plus premier access. They're starting to bring back some of the theater. This had a budget of around a hundred million dollars. It already made 30 million on its opening weekend, just domestically. And that's just going to increase as we move through the summer and people get more and more comfortable with going into the theater. This actually might end up staying in the theater longer than it may have under quote unquote normal circumstances, because people will continue to build this up. I could see this being, you know, especially that uh, musical theater audience that came out to see greatest showman and how that continued to thrive in the theaters. I could definitely see something like that happening with Cruella here. So that's my wrap up on this. It's just been fantastic getting to talk to both of you about a new film and guess what? We get to do it again this month. That's right. Luca drops later this month on Disney plus. So this crew will be able to take over the full disclosure again. I believe if I'm not mistaken, that is being released on June 18th. And that is not premier access because again, who knows 
what Disney is up to here, but uh, Luca is coming out on June 18th for everybody to enjoy on Disney Plus. It will just be on your Disney Plus account on that day. So make sure to go and check that out. And you'll probably see a full disclosure coming from the Beyond the Mouse crew all about Luca later on this month. Also coming up, we have uh, next week, we're releasing an episode on The Princess Diaries, the first film. Very important that you know it's the first film as a behind the scenes of the podcast. And then also we have uh, a wonderful interview that we are doing with another podcast called The Book of the Mouse. And it's all about your summer reading that you get to do, uh, all the Disney books that you'd like to do. So those are some of the episodes that you'll have looking forward to coming up. If you're a brand new listener or listening to us on the main feed, we'd love to have you join us. Look for Beyond the Mouse on any podcast app of your choice, and you can find us uh, on there. Just search for Beyond the Mouse. You can also find us on social media. If you want to search for us on Facebook, we're Beyond the Mouse Podcast. We also do have that Facebook group that I really encourage you join called Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals. Join in the fun there as well. You can find us on Twitter, Beyond Mouse, and on Instagram, Beyond the Mouse Pod. It's just been wonderful to talk about a wonderful movie. So thank you for listening and thank you for continuing to support us. For Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Craig. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Looking fabulous, darling. (laughs) Nita, darling. (laughs) 